the Bible says, beginning of verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man uh, was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses uh, every one his day and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And so it was when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Tonight we're going to look at this title, When Things Go Wrong. When Things Go Wrong. You ever been there? Things don't go according to plan? Some of you are there right now, so we'll talk about that tonight. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you'd help us as we look at the life of Job. And Lord, consider some bone-rattling truths that uh, from time to time we need to be reminded of. And Lord, I pray that it would hit a mental reset button in many of our hearts. And Lord, help us to view things much different. Uh, uh, Just in regards to what you're trying to do in our lives when it comes to troubles and trials and Lord, uh, uh, shattered expectations. And so God, help us uh, understand this. And Lord, convict us where our mindsets, our mentalities aren't right. And Lord, help us to be on page with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Job is the, um, the oldest book in the Bible, many believe. It was the first book written. And most people would ascribe the authorship of Job to Moses that he would have written this before he wrote the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible. And what's amazing about the book of Job, and I'm working hard uh, to assemble a sermon around this, but there is more science in the book of Job than there is any other book in the Bible. And some of the science in the book of Job was scoffed and laughed at until about 30 or 40 years ago, definitely within the last hundred years. Uh, but all of the science that's in the book of Job has been discovered to be true. It's like God is saying, I know more about the planet I created than you do. And so if any atheist wants to argue that the Bible is a, a false book, well, they got a lot of explaining to do. Or as Ricky would say from I Love Lucy, a lot of, lot of explaining to do. Amen? Uh, the uh, book of Job is, is filled with science and while the Bible is not a science book, all the science in it is 100% accurate. Uh, but we'll, we'll look at that another time. Uh, but just wanted to get that out there in the beginning as we're talking about Job from a, from a bird's eye view here. Um, every time we, we're going over a book, I try to give you either a uh, two or three word uh, introduction or an introduction be wrapped up in two or three words or at least a sentence or two. And so let me give you a sentence or two that just sums up my whole introduction. All right, just get right to it here. It is our obligation to pleasure God. Believe that? Here's the other half of that. It is not God's obligation to pleasure or please us. We were not created. God was not created for our glory. We were created for His glory. And so... Here we see that in the life of Job. God pulls back the curtain 
and he shows us what is going on behind the scenes between God, uh, the powers of, uh, of righteousness and the powers of evil, and the conversation that happens there, and what God allows in Job's life. And someone would say, well, how dare God use Job as a guinea pig? Well, Job is God's creation. God can do whatever he wants to with Job. And God can do whatever he wants to with you. Just shake your fist at God and say, why are you letting these things go wrong in my life? That's not fair. No, no, no. You were created by God. He can do whatever He wants to with you. And He's righteous in doing it. Absolutely righteous in doing it. Now, thankfully, we have a book full of promises and conditional promises. And we're secure in those. But that still does not mean that God can't put us through a Job-type trial in order to make a greater point, even if it doesn't benefit us in any direct way. We'll see in the end of the chapter that God gives Job a whole lot of good things back. But my friend, let me just be clear here. God wasn't obligated to do that. He had no obligation to give Job anything back. He did so because he's merciful and that's his nature. But we have been created to pleasure God. And so in your trial, in that thing that's just going greatly wrong in your life, time out. Don't say, God, why are you letting this happen to me? Say, Lord, I've been created for your pleasure, and if this is somehow pleasuring you, then I'm glad that I get to fulfill my purpose. That is a much better attitude to have. We're going to jump right into the outline. As you can see, if you've got a bulletin there, uh, the outline's on the back. I hope you fill those out. I hope you hold on to those and you go back and review those later. Um, And we can't uh, in-depth cover everything. I hope this whets your appetite for each book we study each week. I got a text from a church member I believe Thursday or Friday of last week, saying, hey, your sermon spawned me to go back and look at the book of Esther, and, and that brought me to the book of Genesis, and, and I just I just love the Bible. And I hope that that's what the study does for many of you, is it, 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 it whets your appetite to get deeper into the book. And so let's jump right in tonight. We've got a lot of points, we've got a lot of ground to cover, and so we'll spend more time on some points than other. But jumping right in here, uh, point number one of the message is this, Satan's role, Satan's Role. Look down at, um, we'll jump in letter A there. We see he is beneath God. Look down with me at verse number 6 of Job chapter 1. The Bible says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So here we see that Satan, although he had been cast out of heaven, he was at one point Lucifer. He uh, was uh, most likely, many speculate, and the Bible would seem to indicate he was the chief musician in heaven. His body is created out of musical instruments. And there was a day he tried to elevate his throne above God. And he said, I will be like the Most High God. I will ascend uh, above Him. And God said, I don't share my glory with anyone. So he took Satan and the rebellion, he threw him out of hell. And Satan was trying to be above God even though he was beneath God. And God said, let me permanently show you how far beneath me you are. And you say, well, how far beneath Satan is God? Well, when God calls a meeting and wants Satan there, Satan shows up. He shows up. He doesn't have a choice. We call those mandatory meetings. You ever have those at work? Right? Right? Mandatory meetings. In uh, the NFL season is getting ready to start, they have mandatory workouts. You don't show up, boy, they hit your paycheck. Satan doesn't have a choice. God calls a meeting and God wants Satan there. Satan shows up. Why? Because Satan is beneath God. Letter B, we say he is, we see he is bent on destroying what God favors. He is bent on 
destroying what God favors. There is nothing that God has created that Satan likes. There's nothing that God has created that Satan uh, wants to see succeed. He, he wants to see it all fall apart. In fact, in his getting Adam and Eve to sin, what happened? All the animals were cursed. Lions eat lambs. Lions didn't eat lambs or any other animal before the fall. Now uh, all, you have all this bloodshed in the animal kingdom because of Satan. He's trying to destroy God's beautiful creation. Uh, mankind, there was no marital strife before the fall. Why is that there now? Because Satan is trying to destroy everything that God created. And he has a number of ways of doing that. Uh, one of those is he creates an imitation of everything that God creates. We know in the end times, there is a trinity. Satan will have his trinity that that rules in the end times. And uh, God has created love. Satan creates lust. God has created joy. Satan creates Happiness and Satan has a false imitation or some a false idea. It would be like drinking Coca-Cola and then picking up the nastiest off-brand. Satan has tried to imitate God's version. He just can't do a very good job. But nonetheless, he's tripped up a lot of people. Why? Because he's bent on destroying the things that God favors. Letter C. We see he believes man is evil. He believes man is evil. Look down with me at verse number nine of Job chapter one. There. It says there, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast not thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about uh, all that he hath on every side? Uh, Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. Flip over there with me to chapter 2 and verse 4 and 5. Chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Job says, listen, uh, 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 rather Satan says, listen, Job's not obeying you because uh, he, he loves you. Job's obeying you because you have put a hedge about him. You've given him everything. Why wouldn't he worship you? Why? Because Satan believes that man is inerrantly evil. Look at verse 4 and 5. The Bible says there in of chapter 2, And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life, but put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. God allowed Satan to take everything away from Job. Job just wasn't, or Satan was just not allowed to touch Job. And, uh, he said, he came back and said, the same thing he said, hast thou not considered my servant Job, that he is perfect and upright and with evil? And Job, uh, Satan said, ah, whatever, skin for skin, bone for bone, let me touch him. And he will curse you. Why did Satan believe that deep down inside? He believed that because he believes that man is evil and man has no chance of doing what's right. Uh, uh, Satan spends his entire time like a lawyer accusing the brethren. Uh, Like in a courtroom accusing the saints. Let me read a verse for you here. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. Let me read this for you. Listen closely. It says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. What does Satan do every day and every night? He says, Hey, right there! Didn't you just see what he did? Didn't you see what she did? Don't you see how he's living? And Don't you see how she's living? And Don't you see that bad out? Don't you see that lustful thought? Don't you see that lie? You know what God says? God says, no, I look down and I see the blood of Jesus. It's all forgiven. It's all forgiven. Hey, Satan! Hey, I defeated you when my son died on the cross and shed his precious blood. 
Satan's role. He is beneath God. Satan has no power unless God lets him have that power. He is bent on destroying what God favors. Letter C, he believes man is evil. Letter D, we see his base is among mankind. Look back at chapter 1 and verse number 7. Chapter 1 and verse number 7. The Bible says there, And the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. Turn back, turn back over to chapter 2 and look at verse 2. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? This is the second meeting here in the book of Job. And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. So uh, Satan's base is here on planet earth. Let me just say tonight that Satan is real. Satan's power is real. Satan's influence is real. And uh, people mess around with that all the time. That's nothing to be played with. Nothing to be played with. Now let me also add here that if you are a born again Christian, you have asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and take away your sin and He has put the Holy Spirit inside of you, that power and presence is infinitely more powerful than Satan and Satan does not stand a chance against that power. Does not stand a chance. With that said, you should not invite unclean spirits into your life to oppress you. While Satan cannot possess you if you're saved, he sure can oppress you. And many Christians are living with a dark cloud over their head because they've allowed some sort of sinful oppression into their life, some sort of satanic oppression in their life. Let me also say here that notice the Bible that Satan said that he goes to and fro throughout the earth walking up and down in it. Notice that Satan is not omnipresent. He's not. Satan must travel from point A to point B. Whereas, when Satan leaves point A, God is there. And when Satan, uh, when Satan was at point A, God was there. When he leaves, God stays there. When uh, he leaves point A, God's already at point B. When he arrives there, God's already at point B. Why? Because God's everywhere. All the time. Satan has to travel everywhere. God's already there. Satan can't de- deceive God. He can't uh, uh, attack Job here and then leave him and God leaves and sneak back over there and God's not around and attack Job. It just doesn't work that way. God's always, God was always there with Job. And we find that we have an all-powerful, unlimited in power God. And Job, rather, Satan's limited. He's limited. And so we see Satan's role. Satan plays a role inside of God's plan But Satan must operate inside of God's plan. Number two, we see Job's righteousness. So what happened to Job? God is uh, having a conversation with Satan in heaven. He says, have you not considered my servant Job? He's perfect. Now, just for those of you that may be new to church, that word perfect uh, here in the book of Job, as in many other places in the Bible, here it goes. Does not mean that Job was without sin. It means that Job was mature. Job was where he was supposed to be. Let me illustrate this, okay? For those of you that haven't seen this illustrated, and I don't know that I've ever used this here, so uh, this will be this will be a, a good uh, way to give perspective. Let's say I took a, someone who is capable of running a hundred yards in ten seconds. And I line them up there at the starting line. It's a hundred yard run, and every ten yards there's a mark. And I'm standing at the 50-yard line and I've got a stopwatch. And I say, on your mark, get set, and the horn sounds. And I've got my stopwatch. And I look down and he gets to the 20-yard line and it says two seconds. 
The goal is for him to make it across the line in 10 seconds. And I look down and it says 2 seconds at the 20-yard line. I say, perfect. Does that mean he's without sin? No, it just means he's where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there. I look at the 30-yard line, it says 3 seconds. Perfect. 40-yard line, 4 seconds. Perfect. He crosses the finish line and it says 10.0. Perfect. Perfect. That means he's where he's supposed to be. Listen, Christian, God isn't looking for you to be sinless. But He has a plan for your life. And when you're walking with Him, if you're where you're supposed to be at that juncture of your Christian life, God will label you, like He labeled Job, as being perfect. Not that does, Again, not that doesn't mean without sin. That means you are mature in the Lord. You are where you are supposed to be. God says to Satan, have you not considered my servant Job that he is perfect and upright and he eschews or hates evil. And uh, Satan says, yeah, okay, he's perfect because you put this hedge around him and you won't let me get to him. And, and I can't even tempt him. You won't let me near him. And, and God, uh, and if you take down that hedge, I would show you that he's not so uh, uh, righteous and holy. And God says, okay, I'm taking it down. You can have at it, but you can't touch him. Now, I've never heard anyone make this point. Uh, I, I think this every time I read the book of Job. And so i got to make this here. Did you notice what Job did? Job destroyed everything. He took away... Uh, he took away uh, his his uh, he took away all of his his wealth through through the the livestock he had. He was a farmer, and he even killed his ten sons. Did you notice that he didn't kill his wife? Now, why? Because God said you can't touch him. Isn't that clear? When they marry, become one flesh. He wasn't allowed to touch Job's wife. It wasn't allowed. And Satan understood that. That Job and Mrs. Job were one. And so to me, that's just even more proof that you are to become one with your spouse. Never heard anybody else make that point, but I thought that was really good. Amen? Um, He takes everything away from Job. Look at verse 8 of Job chapter 1. The Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan said, Answer the Lord and said, from going to and fro... I'm sorry, I got you looking at the wrong verse here. Uh, Let me just give you the A, B, and C really quick. He was, uh, speaking of Job's righteousness, he was unique among his peers. Unique among his peers. Letter B, he was upright in his integrity. Letter C, he was unspotted by the world. He was unique among his peers. He was upright in his integrity. He was unspotted by the world. Now, Job was filthy rich. The Bible says he was the greatest man in all the East, and the East would have been the civilized part of the world. So he was the richest man on the planet, most likely. But yet he was unique amongst his peers. He was upright in his integrity. He was unspotted by the world. We get that from him being perfect and upright and hating evil. Number three, let's look at Satan's rampage. Satan goes on an absolute rampage to destroy Job and to try to bring him down. Look at verse 12. Job chapter 1. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. There was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And there came a messenger unto Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them. 
And the Sabians fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans came out three bands and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, Thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness, smote the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young men, and they are dead and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his dead and fell down upon the ground and worshipped. Satan went on an absolute rampage and after that he wasn't done. Job goes back to God and God says, He still has not cursed me. And Satan says, That's because you haven't let me touch him. And God says, Okay, you can touch him. Just don't kill him. Look at chapter 2 and verse 6. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal. And he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Boy, what a terrible day. Job finds himself sitting at the city dump, picking up a piece of potsherd and scraping the boils, the pus out of his boils that covered him from head to toe. God allowed Satan to just have at it with Job. Now, I don't know how bad you have it right now. But I doubt anybody in this room has gone from being the richest... I know no one in this room has gone from being the richest person in the world. Having your wife telling you to curse God and die, walking away from you while you've lost everything, and you're covered with boils. Satan just launched an all-out assault. Now, you may not be sitting there tonight... You may be there night saying, no, Pastor, my Satan's assault on me has not been that intense. Some of you are going through a satanic assault. Whether that be Satan opening fire on you directly or Satan using someone else, you feel like you are under some sort of assault. Satan has unleashed his rampage on you. How do you respond? How do you respond? Number four, let's look at Job's reaction. Look with me at Job chapter 1 and verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle, shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground. This is obviously after the first time. And, what's that next word? He worshipped. Look at verse 21. It said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Wow. 
You know, when, um, when God looked at Satan and said he's perfect, he's upright, he is choose evil, he hates evil. You know what God was saying to Job? Or rather, God was saying to Satan, you see the exterior of the man, I see his heart. And I know if you grab him and you rattle him real hard, I know that righteousness is going to come pouring out. And Satan said, no, it won't. Let me at him. But sure enough, got removed and rattled him real hard. Killed all of his kids, took all of his wealth away, left him, left him homeless. Job fell down on his face and he said, I came into this world naked and I'm going to go back naked. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Christian, does that define your reaction when problems come into your life? Now, it hasn't always defined mine. But i got to say, that's my goal. And that ought to be your goal. Look at chapter 2 and verse 10. Job's wife says, Curse God and just die. Look how he responds. Verse 10. It says, But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. You know what he's saying? Look, if you're going to be good at taking the good from God, then you're going to have to learn how to be good at taking the not so good from God. You can't just be good at taking one and not taking the other. The day may come you go into a doctor's office and you get a really bad report about your health or a loved one's health. Naked came I into this world. Naked I'll go out of this world. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You're going to wring your hands in worry. You're going to fall down on your knees and, 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 and praise Him. The day may come where every penny in your savings account is gone. You're going to worship the Lord or are you going to fret, wring your hands and worry? Well, I hope we have Job's reaction. Number five, we see Job's rebuke. Job's rebuke. Here Job is sitting sitting there with a piece of potsherd, broken piece of pottery in his hand. He's pushing out the pus from the boils on his body. And Job's best buddies come walking up. The old phrase, with friends like these, who needs enemies? Job's buddies, they, they come and they sit there and they do what all good friends do. For three days they sat there and they said nothing. Boy, how comforting is that. Imagine your three best friends walking up and you're at the lowest point in your life and they just sit there and they just stare a hole through you. A pharisaical hole through you. You piece of garbage. How dare you! And after three days of saying nothing, they opened their mouth. And Job wished they had not opened their mouth. Letter A, we see Eliphaz's reasonings. Eliphaz's reasoning. Turn over to chapter 4 and verse 7 and 8. We see this question. That, uh, uh, that, uh, this question, why the suffering? And if you're taking notes, let me encourage you to write down these two questions below each of the next four subpoints. Why the suffering and what should he do? 
So his friends are going to tell him why he's suffering. And then in another passage, they're going to tell him what he should do uh, to get out of the suffering. So why the suffering? Uh, look at chapter 4 and verse 7 and 8. The Bible says there, and this is Eliphaz speaking, uh, Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or uh, where were the righteous cut off? Even as I have seen, they have they that plow iniquity and sow wickedness reap the same. Why the suffering? He claimed that Job sowed evil. Basically, what, we, what Eliphaz was saying to Job is, Hey buddy, you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. All this is bad's happening to you. That's because you've done some bad and your chickens are coming home to roost. Eliphaz had some advice for uh, old Job on what he should do. Turn over to chapter 22 and verse 23. Job chapter 22 and verse 23. And they all take their turns telling Job why he's such a sorry, low-down scumbag. And then after they go in a circle telling him why he's such a sorry, low-down, good-for-nothing... They're going to come around and, and, and preach a pious sermon to him on, on how he should get his life fixed. Chapter 22, verse 23 says, If thou return to the Almighty, again this is Eliphaz speaking, If thou return to the Almighty, thou shalt be built up. Thou shalt put away iniquity far uh, from thy tabernacles. Then uh, shalt thou lay up gold as dust, as the gold of Ophir, as the stones of the brook. Yea, the Almighty shall be thy defense, as uh, thou shalt have plenty of silver. What he should do, what, what he basically said here in these verses is, return to God and, and leave your sin. Hey, Job, return to God and leave your sin. Now, let me just say that with all four of these guys, some of what they said is based in truth. The problem with this is that they judge the motives of his heart. And you can't do that with someone. Sometimes you see someone going through a hard time. Sometimes you see a group of people going through a hard time. The worst thing you can do is throw stones at their motives. You might think you know their motives. They may be as obvious as the nose on their faces. It's a bad mistake to make. Some of you tonight, if that's all you get from this, you'll leave a much better person. Don't judge motives. Some of your marriages would get a lot better if you'd stop judging your spouse's motive. If they have not stated that as their motive, then don't be accusatory. Now, questioning kindly and carefully is one thing, but don't be accusatory. They came into this and they saw Job being what they viewed as punishment from God while Job was not being punished. And these four guys really were sort of Old Testament Pharisees. Letter B, we see Bildad's reasoning. We'll move quickly at this point. Look back at chapter 8 and verse 13. There's a joke uh, uh, here. Bildab is from the city of Shuhite. So the joke is that the shortest man in the Bible is Bildab the Shuhite. <laughs> Pastor Dave says that he's not the shortest man in the Bible because Peter slept on the watch. You've got to be pretty short to sleep on a watch. So I gave you some Bible jokes Sunday morning. You're getting more Wednesday night. I'm going to run out here quickly. Bildad says in verse 13 and 14, it says, When I say, My bed shall comfort me, my couch shall ease my complaint, then thou scarest me with dreams and terrifiest me uh, through visions. What was he getting at here? Job, your pillow is not so soft, is it? That conscience of yours is bothering you, isn't it? 
Basically, what he was saying here is, uh, Job, you're a hypocrite. Why the suffering? Because you're a hypocrite that's forgotten God. You're a hypocrite that's totally dismissed God. Not outwardly in your actions, but inward in your heart you've dismissed God. What did Bildad tell him that he should do? Look at chapter 5, uh, rather chapter 8 and verses 5 and 6. It says there, If thou wouldest seek unto God betimes and make thy supplications the Almighty, if thou wert pure and upright, well, God had said He was pure and upright, surely now He would awake for thee and make the habitation of thy righteousness, uh, 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 thy righteousness prosperous. What was He saying here? He was saying, you need to beg God for forgiveness. Hey, Job, while you're laying there uh, scraping the pus out of your womb, why don't you get the sin out of your heart, you, you, you sorry, good-for-nothing sinner? Letter C, we see Zophar's reasoning. Zophar's reasoning. Again, if you're writing these two questions down, why the suffering? Turn over to chapter 11 and verse 4. Chapter 11 and verse 4. Zophar jumps in on the dog pile. He, he's got to get his two, two pious cents in here. Zophar says in verse 4, For thou hast said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thine eyes. But oh, that God would speak and open His lips against thee, and that He would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. What was Zophar saying? Why the suffering? He said, though you've claimed righteousness, you have sinned. Hey, you claim that you have nothing wrong inside of you. You claim that you're a good guy, but... We know the truth, Job. You've got sin in that heart. Again, judging the motives. What should he do? Look at chapter 11 again, verse 13 through 15. Here's uh, Zophar's advice to Job. If thou prepare thine heart and stretch out thine hand toward him, if iniquity be in thine hand, put it far away, and let not the wickedness dwell in thy tabernacles. For then shalt thou lift up thy face without spot, Yea, thou shalt be stead, excuse me, thou shalt be steadfast and shalt not fear. What should he do? He said, uh, he said, devote your heart to God and turn away from sin. Devote your heart to God and turn away from sin. Now, I would just stop here and say that in all three of these guys' reasonings up to this point, and even the next guy, their advice is good advice if that person's living in sin. But Job wasn't living in sin. Letter D, we see Elihu's reasoning. Turn to chapter 36. So these three guys are sitting around and they're giving Job a hard time. And this youngster, Elihu, he walks by and he stops and he's listening. And I will say about Elihu, he was less hard on Job than the other guys were. But he, he's still the young man, the novice he was. He had to get his... He had to get his shot in it, Job. Look at verse 8. He says, And if they be found, and again this is Elihu speaking, if they be found in fetters and beholden in cords of affliction, then he soweth them their work and their transgressions that they have exceeded. He openeth also their ears to discipline and, uh, uh, and, and commandeth that they return from iniquity. What was he saying? God is correcting you, Job. Why the suffering? God is correcting you. You are being spanked by a holy God. Take your licks, Job. Job, what should you do? Look down at verse 10. 36.10 He openeth also their ears to discipline and commandeth that they return 
from iniquity. In one word, what should he do? He should repent. Job, repent of the evil of your heart. And again, now you see, with friends like this, who needs enemies? And we know that this is not why Job was being punished. You remember in the New Testament when the disciples asked Jesus, who did sin, this man or his parents? And God said, none did sin per se. He was created this way for my glory. Don't we kind of get this in the Old Testament with Job? Hey, Job, I have done this stripping of all the good of your life for my glory. To make a point to Satan. Why? Because you've put on the point, you've been put on the planet for my pleasure. Okay? You're not here for me to pleasure. You're on the planet to pleasure me. Number six, we see Job's response. Now, I gotta say that this is a very difficult situation for Job. He's sitting there and he's getting blasted about how terrible of a person he is. And before they came in and were blasting him, Job's heart was pure and Job worshipped the Lord and Job had a very mature attitude about this. But as Job's integrity fell under attack, Job began to feel a little sorry for himself. Job began to stand up for himself and Job probably here became filled with a little bit of pride. Look at verse 4 of Job 31. It says, doth, he, doth not he see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked with vanity or if my foot have hasted to deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. That God may know my integrity. What did he basically say is, hey, you guys think you know what's in here. You don't know what's in here. God knows what's in here. And I'm fine with God judging me for who I am on the inside. Now, you continue to read, and again, this is just a quick study of the book. You continue to read, and you find that Job didn't just defend himself to say, my heart's pure and you guys are wrong. Job eventually began to sulk a little bit and to say, you know, I really don't know why God's dumping all this trial on me. And, and, and he didn't quite go as far as to say, God, you're unfair. But boy, he sure walked right up to that line. You ever been there, Christian? God's... Um, Allowing a trial in your life that seems to make no sense! None whatsoever! And you're sitting here going, ah, Why are you doing this to me, God? I don't get it! You try to be respectful of what you say. You even try to be respectful in your heart. But you know what? God is so good at discerning the thoughts. What's Hebrews say? 4.12? Thoughts and... Intent. God can see straight through us, and God can even see the intent in our heart that we don't even know is there. God looked down in Job's heart, and he saw a heart that wasn't totally pure. He said, Job, I see some room to grow. And so God came down and had a very firm talking to his son. And God basically said to Job, where were you when I... And that's where we get all the science from the book of Job. Number seven, we see God's rebuttal. God's rebuttal. Letter A, trust me, don't question me. Look at chapter 38 and verse 2. The Bible says there, Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? He said, look, don't, don't, don't doubt me. Don't question me. I am God. Just trust me. Christian, listen. Let's be honest. That's hard sometimes. 
It's not hard to trust God when everything's going really good. But it is hard to trust God when you don't have a job. It is hard to trust God when the medical things a blur or even really bad. It's hard to trust God when relationships are strained. God says, I'm God. I created everything. I created you. I know everything about you. I know every detail of your life, and I care more about you than anybody can. You can. My love for you is more pure than anyone's love for you could be. Just trust me. Letter B, we see this. We see God telling Job, God's rebuttal to Job. I am everything, and you are nothing. Really quick, we're not going to look at all the verses here. I encourage you to to take the verses listed there and and study them on your own. Look at verse 4 and 5 of chapter 38. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Uh, Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon uh, are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the corner stone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut up the sea with doors and uh, when it break forth as, it, as it, uh, it had issued out of the womb? And on and on God goes to say, Hey, Job, where were you when I did this? Where were you when I did that? Job, I am big. I am strong. I am powerful. And you're just this little pipsqueak nobody. Don't question me. Better see, we see, who are you to condemn me? Who are you to condemn me? Turn to chapter 40. Verse number 8. Now, we don't see anywhere in Job, where, God, where Job, uh, the book of Job, where Job flat out condemns God. But, again, God can see down into the intent of our heart. Look at chapter 40 and verse 8. Wilt thou also disannul my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me, that thou mayest be righteous? And God was saying to Job, don't condemn me. Don't condemn me. I am always right. Letter D. Suffering brings about spiritual growth. Turn with me to chapter 42. Let me show you something really, really neat here. Suffering brings about spiritual growth. So after God just gives Job the best lecture... He's ever probably given anybody one-on-one. That, that's, that's debatable. He gave Peter a pretty good talking to uh, in the New Testament. But um, gives him, I'd put it in the top two or three. Okay, Best lectures. Definitely one of the longest ones that uh, someone got one-on-one. We see, um, we see Job's response. Look at verse 1 of 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understand not things too wonderful wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee and I will speak. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes." What did all of this suffering that was in Job's life, what did it bring about? What about spiritual growth? You know, um, God has a plan for you to grow. And spiritual, godly, mature Christians can grow during prosperous times. But most of us are not very good at that. So God has to allow suffering in our lives sometimes to bring about the greatest growth. I would look at it this way. Let me use a visual for you. 
Suffering is equal to spiritual miracle growth. That makes sense? Sometimes God pours the miracle grow on us because we're just not growing fast enough. He pours the suffering on. Now God looked at Job's heart and he saw that he was a mature man that hated evil. But he saw room to make Job better. So he peeled back the protection and he let, Job, or let Satan at Job. Through the end, Job was made a better man. Number seven, and lastly, we see Job's reward. Look at chapter 42 and verse 10. The Bible says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job. If you underline in your Bible, will you underline the next several words here? When he prayed for his friends. The Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Oh boy, if I had time, I could park it here a long time. Some of you are not seeing the blessings of God because you won't pray for the people who have wronged you. But until you're willing to do that, God's just going to hold back the good, the reward. What rewards? Look at verse 12. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and a 1,000 yoke of oxen and a 1,000 she-asses. He also had seven sons and three daughters. God gave Job twice as much as he had at the end of his life than he did before the trial. You say, well, what was Mrs. Job's punishment for telling him to curse God and die? She had to go through childbirth ten more times. She should have just kept her mouth shut. (laughs) Job's reward. Some of you tonight need to ask God. Some of you need to pray for your enemies. Not pray that God kills them, but pray for them. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed tonight.